family issues, and, and she's home now. And so, you know, just a lot of needs that are, that are in people's lives. Um, and, you know, when you're in it, it feels really, really big. You know, if, if, you are, if you're from a distance looking, it can look like, well, you know, that's not big of a deal. I mean, their kids are going back to college. The son's going back to, you know, the military while they were in the hospital for a couple of days. Uh, you know, but listen, when you're in the middle of that, it's tough stuff. And you need one another to come alongside. And I just want to challenge you that if you don't have those people in your life right now, you know, it's easy to look out and say, well, why don't people minister to me? But the question is, are you ministerable too? You know, are you opening up your lives to people and letting people in and ministering to you? Proverbs says, if you want to have friends, show yourself friendly. And so uh, just open up your lives to one another. This is a new year, right? 2020, that's amazing. Somebody said to me, this is, has nothing to do with what I want to talk about today, but somebody said to me that 1990 is as far away now as 2050. Yeah, doesn't that hurt? That's unbelievable, okay? Think about it. It's true. So 2020 is here. It's the opportunity to start something new in your life. You know, New Year's resolutions, it's, you, can, you, know, you can take those, you can leave them, whatever. But certainly, every year, we kind of rethink things right now. And I just want to challenge you to be rethinking your own life. Are you submitted to Christ? There's times in Scripture where God says to a man or to a woman, are you willing? Will you go? I want to challenge you the same way. Are you willing? Will you go? Are you the person that God is able to use. We're going to look today at a person that, that certainly should have been, but he wasn't. But God intervened. A couple of things I want to just mention uh, by a word of announcement. Um, first of all, on January 26th, we're having a congregational meeting. It'll be after our worship service that morning, Sunday, January 26th. And uh, we'll be talking about the new year and, and sort of the challenges and the, the, the exciting things that, that are coming in 2020. I do want to mention the 25th of January. That's just a few Saturdays from now. Um, we, we want to invite you, if God has placed it on your heart, to be involved in leading in our children's ministry. Listen, God has given us a great opportunity in, in heading back to the, to the heart of Spring Mills. And we want to be used of the Lord. We want, we want to take this stewardship that he has given us, and we want to be faithful that community is crawling with children and teenagers. And we want to be the epicenter of God's work there in the heart of Spring Mills. And so we want to call to you as, as individuals who know Christ and who love people to be used of the Lord to, to foster an environment in our church where children and teenagers can grow in Christ. And so on Saturday the 25th, we're inviting anyone that has any part of your heart that you say, you know what? The Lord could use me to lead in that respect. God's given me some abilities. He's given me some background. He's given me some experience that I can lead, particularly right now I'm talking about in the area of children's ministry. On the 25th, we want you to come out and just hear sort of where we're headed in the, in the next three to five years and that the Lord prods you to be involved in leading in our ministries to children. And we'll branch that out even to teenagers as well. So that's on Saturday the 25th in the morning. be about an hour. You'll hear more about that. But um, be praying about your involvement there. Well, many of you probably are, are very aware that, that I spent about, oh, let's see, 10, 11 years as a youth pastor here in the Berkeley County area. And, um, you know, during that time, it was a great time. It was, it was a neat time of, of fruit and, and of just seeing the Lord do kind of neat things, you know. And uh, we, we, were, we were on a mission, just like you, just like Centerpoint Bible Church. We were on a mission to reach people with the gospel. I mean, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to reach people, particularly teenagers when I was a youth pastor, reach teenagers with the gospel and see them grow in Christ. And the way God, the way God was doing this is he'd, he'd raise up people from within our church who would come alongside and be, be youth staff or children's staff or whatever, and we would all partner together, locking arms in arms, and, and doing this work of the ministry. Well, there was one particular evening. Uh, we were there on the basketball court, and there was a new 
a new young man. He was probably in his 20s, maybe 30s. And he was just starting to work with us in the, in the youth ministry. And we're there on the basketball court and we're playing ball with a couple of, couple of kids, a couple of senior high boys. Kind of a rough crew. They hadn't really been to our church for anything, but they were there that day playing basketball. And we're playing ball, you know, three on three or whatever it was. And, and you know, just, just roughhousing and just having a good time. And this is all, now this is before our regular youth ministry meeting. Okay, we're hanging out there at the church property, playing basketball, probably about 6.30, things kick off that night at 7 o'clock, playing ball with these kids. And, and what had been happening over the months is that, is that these guys would come out, they'd play basketball on a Wednesday night, they'd play basketball there on the court, and at about 6.55, they'd all leave. They'd all just take off. You know, and we wanted them to stay. We wanted them to stay to hear God's word. Well, we're there on the basketball court. This guy's name was Mark. And um, we're playing ball with these kids. And we, we kind of take a break. It's getting close to 6.55. And, and I'm saying to these guys, hey, why don't you stay tonight? You know, you've been coming out for weeks and playing ball. Why don't you stay with us? We're going to go right down over the hill here. We're going to open up God's word and, and see what God has to say to us as his creatures. Why don't you stay? And these kids were like, no, nah, you know, we, we don't want to do that. We we don't really want to do that. I'm not sure we want to stay. And they're, they're kind of pulling away, you know. They're, they're getting ready to leave. And Mark, in all of the exuberance of, of, of youth, I guess, he got this idea. He's like, hey, guys, I tell you what. If I can make this basket right now on the other side of the court, if I can make this basket, will you stay and they were like, no, they wanted to clarify. You know, like, you mean you're going to shoot from here and you're going to make it all the way down there, full court shot, right? Yeah, yeah. If I make this basket, will you guys stay? And they were like, sure, man, sure, go ahead. Mark looks at me out of the corner of his eye, okay? Kind of winks at me like, you know, you know what I'm doing, right? You know the plan, right? And so he takes that ball holds in his hands a little bit, keeps looking at me. I could feel, it's like I could hear his thoughts, you know, like, okay, Lowell, it's now time to pray. <laughs> he holds the ball, okay, and he pitches back as hard as he can. <laughs> the ball goes, Shh. I mean, you can, it's like in my mind, it's slow motion, you know. You can see the threads on that basketball just kind of spinning. And, and I mean, just at the right moment, it drops and lands like on the foul line. Okay? Totally missed it. All right? And the guy's like, see, man, I told you you couldn't make it. And they turned away and walked into their vehicles drove away. Mark looks at me with like this look of just abject depression. You know, he's just like, he, he looks at me like, why? What? Why did God let us down? Why? So I picked up another ball and I'm bouncing. And I said, "Mark, have you ever made that shot before? <laughs> like, is that did you? Have you ever done? Have you ever shot from from the other side of the court and made it? Has it ever happened?" He's like, "No, no, I, I, it never has." He said, "I just really thought." God would let me make that basket. You know, we get all wrapped up in the supernatural, right? I mean, we are drawn to this sort of experience where if God would just do this supernatural thing, if, if he would just blow our minds and violate every single physical law we could come up with, then, then we would see a revival, right? I mean, that's how we look at it. We look at it like, you know, if he would just heal this person, or if he would just do this thing, or if he would just feed these people, or if he would just, oh, if you would just get this athlete or this musician or this actor, if they would just get saved, oh, then the whole country, they would just flock to Jesus, right? I mean, you, you, you're willing to admit that there's a piece of your heart, there's a piece of your mind 
that thinks that, right? See, we're drawn to the supernatural experience. But our ability to discern the eternal weight of experience is flawed. You and I don't have in our natural being, in who we are as human beings, as creatures, our ability to discern the weight of supernatural activity is broken. It's flawed. I want to look today and over the next couple of weeks together, we're going to study the book of Jonah. Now, you may or may not know much about Jonah. Probably you all think of the big fish, right? And that's what the story is all about. Is this whale that, that, that or maybe big fish, I guess, this big fish that, that swallows up Jonah. And he lives inside of the, the stomach of this fish for three days. And you say, wow, that's incredible. And other people say, that's impossible. But what is this account really about? I'm going to put a verse up on the screen that, that Steve already referenced for us today. And it was, it was the interaction, as Steve explained, it was an interaction between Jesus and his disciples where they are they're wrestling through this very issue of, of, okay, God, will you do this supernatural activity and wow us and do the impossible or not? And Jesus says to them, with man, this is impossible. And the this is saving a lost person. That is impossible. The saving of a lost person can't be done. But with God, all things are possible. So I ask you, what is the most impossible thing that God could ever do? What is the most impossible thing that God could ever do? You might say, well, it's to to heal my mom, to to, to bless the world and get rid of world hunger, to, to fix this political situation. No. No. The most impossible thing that God could ever do is to do what needs to be done so that rebels like you and me can have relationship with Him. That is the most impossible thing that God has ever done. And we're going to see that together as we study the book of Jonah. Jonah, when God does the impossible. Find it in your Bible. Um, it's one of the minor prophets. That doesn't, mean it's, it, that doesn't mean that these prophets don't matter, okay? The minor prophets are the 12 kind of small books. They're in the back of your Old Testament. Feel free to look at the table of contents because you probably don't often turn there, okay? But go to the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah is, is an incredible account of, of, a, of a prophet of God who was responsible, God used him to bring about probably the greatest revival of all of history. That's pretty significant. This is, this is arguably the greatest revival of all of history happens here in the book of Jonah. So I'm going to read um, sections of Jonah today. Let me just tell you, this is how, this is how we're going to work the next kind of five, six weeks together. All right, Today's going to be a different kind of message. Today is going to be much more of an overview of the book of Jonah, all right? Usually, as you're probably aware, we we go through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we're going to do that through the book of Jonah. We're going to go through, we're going to work through this together. We're going to study this together. But today, what I want us to do today is I want us to draw up to, you know, the 30,000 feet cliche and, and see the full story, see the full account of Jonah. And to, and to see what it is that God is wanting us to understand through this account. So I want to read today um, just assorted verses. And I'm going to read right now, just kind of give you the, the full feeling of this book. Um, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because I think it's, it's easy to hear it. And I just want you to just listen and to just hear the account that God has, has made sure it's been recorded for us. 
So I'll be, I'll be jumping all around, skipping sections that we'll study together later. Jonah 1.1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found the ship leaving for Tarshish. He, brought a, he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Jump down to verse number 12. Jonah speaks up finally and says, Throw me into the sea, and it, the sea, will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Verse 17, after they did what he asked, the sailors that is, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now I want to stop there for just a minute and just say that most of us, our knowledge of Jonah ends there. It ends there. Jonah hangs out in this fish for three days, and, and we think that's what this is all about. Listen, if you were going to cast the characters in a drama depicting the book of Jonah, the whale, the fish, whatever this thing, is a very minor character. He's like just a piece of the setting. He's just sort of this piece in the background. He plays no real role in the account, quite honestly. The remainder of the, of the book, the next three chapters, are the true story. This is why we're to read it, to see what we learn, not about a great fish, but about Jonah. And even more than that, about our great God. Let's keep reading. 2-1. Then Jonah, who, by the way, remember, is inside of this fish, apparently. Then Jonah Pray to the Lord his God from inside the fish. And we have nine, ten verses of Jonah's prayer. Jump down to verse number eight. As Jonah prays, he says, Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God, God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. 3, 1 to 5. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a feast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Down to verse number 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. And he did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. 
Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Verse 10. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came up quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh, has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Now that's an augmented, a shortened version of the account. And you can see, it's not about a great fish. It is about Jonah But more than that, it's about our compassion-filled God. Listen, Jonah, Jonah is hard to understand. The, The man Jonah, the prophet Jonah, he is hard to understand. Many people have written many books about this, about this man of God, about this prophet of God, and try to understand him and understand what's going on in his mind and in his heart. Charles Swindoll, he wrote a book about Jonah. He called Jonah the reluctant prophet. A guy named Tim Keller, I've got a quote in your worship notes. He wrote a book about Jonah. He called him the prodigal prophet. W.H. Winkler, I have no idea that is, but he wrote a book called the runaway prophet. Mark Langham, don't know who he is. He wrote a book called the prideful prophet. But my favorite is this unknown author, Marcy Ogroski. She called Jonah the cranky prophet. I thought, well, that sounds about right. Okay? The cranky prophet. See what happens here. We're going to see this together. We have, in my opinion, the most unqualified prophet of God who's stubborn, who's vindictive, who is all about protecting his sort of nationalist idea, who's a, who, is a, who is honestly a bigot, who wants to bring destruction upon his enemies who doesn't want the grace of God to be displayed on other people, who wants to protect his own religious view. This is the prophet of God. And God uses him to bring about an enormous revival, an enormous revival in what is probably one of the most wicked groups of people in all of history. There's a guy named Don Carlin, Dan Carlin, that is. He does a podcast called, uh, let's see, uh, uh, I got it written down here. Somebody want to help me? Let's see. Hardcore history, that's it. Hardcore history. And he does a 45-minute podcast on the fall of Nineveh and talks about the Assyrian nation, these people that Jonah is going to, the very enemies of Israel. He calls them the Nazis of the old world. The Assyrians like to do two things with their enemies. They're both pretty disgusting. First of all, they like to pile up heads, decapitated heads of their enemies. And they like to skin them alive. This is what the Assyrians did. And God sends Jonah there. What if God sent you to people that in your heart of hearts lives hate? What if God sent you to take the gospel to people who hate your God? What if God sent you to people who were hostile to the Lord and to his word and to the gospel? Come on, let me tell you a little secret. What I just said, the Bible describes lost people in all of those ways. They're hostile to God. 
They're hostile to the gospel. They think the gospel is foolish. And God sends us. Will we go? And do we truly understand the truth of God's grace? Now, here's how I want to do this today. And again, this is a little bit different than what we usually do. Um, I, I want to give you, I want to do Jonah by the numbers, okay? I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, and ten things I want to point out about Jonah, okay? Ten th- one, two, three, four, five, six, and ten things that I want to point out about Jonah. And I want, what, I, what I want to do is I want to, I want to destroy the idea that you know this account, I want to tear down the idea that you know this is about Jonah and a big fish. I want to destroy that. I mean, even in that Bible I was reading from, they've got these little pictures that go with everything, with every one of the books. And in Jonah, they got a picture of a big fish and Jonah kind of popping out of the mouth. Like that's what it's all about. That's not what it's all about. It's about our gracious, gracious God. Now let me, let me just cross the river back into Jonah's day just a little bit before we get to this, these numbers here. Okay. Jonah is referenced in one other place in your Bible. It's in 2 Kings chapter 14. I think it might be good for you to turn there, okay? Go to 2 Kings chapter 14. We're going back now into the history section of your Bible. Go to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 14. And I want you to see here something about Jonah that, that maybe is significant for us to understand. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse number 25. If you have it, read along. If you don't, just kind of listen. Hear what is described here and about King Jeroboam, who's reigning in Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. He restored the border of Israel from Lebahamath as far as to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-hefer. Now, a lot of that, I know, gets lost. But look what happens here in verse number 26. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would not blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam. Now, here's what I want you to understand about Jonah's day. It is a day of prosperity. It is a day of peace. Jeroboam was an evil king. He was an evil king. But during this time, the nation of Israel is living in peace. They're living in prosperity. They've got this neighbor, Assyria, just to the north of them. But this time in Israel is one of materialistic wealth. It is is a time of prosperity. It is a time of ease. And Jonah had prophesied that it would come. Jonah said, listen, there's coming a time when God's going to give victory to the nation of Israel. But in the midst of this material success, in the midst of this prosperity, the nation of Israel forgot their purpose. They forgot why God had them on the earth. And this is a, this is a common sort of experience of those who experience blessing. When we experience blessing, be it material, be it, be it family, relationship, church, whatever it is, when we experience blessing here on earth, you know what we start to think? We start to think that I'm here for now, that I'm here to enjoy this. And so God called Jonah in the midst of material blessing, in the midst of prosperity, Biblical scholars say that this time under Jeroboam II is only second to the time of Solomon for its prosperity and its peace. And God raises up Jonah and says, go to Assyria. Go to Nineveh, where the Assyrians are reigning. And Jonah who it's easy for us to scoff at and to laugh at and say, what's wrong with him? But Jonah represents all of us when we are blessed materially so we forget the spiritual. 
That's why I wanted to talk about this book in 2020. This is why. Centerpoint Bible Church, we've had some times of challenge. We've had some difficulties. But we're coming into a time where God is going to bring to us a blessing. God is going to bring to us opportunities. God is going to bring to us something that some of us have been waiting for for over a decade. But we cannot, we cannot make the mistake of Jonah. We, we cannot make the mistake of the Israelites under the leadership of Jeroboam II. And in our material possession, in our material success, in our material prosperity, forget why we are here. So let's walk through my numbers, okay? First of all, there's one witness that I want to call forward in support of the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, we're going to see this in just a little bit, it is filled with miraculous activity. The number one of which, of course, that we all know of is Jonah being swallowed by this giant fish and living for three days inside. I mean, people will scoff at, at the, creation, the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2. People will scoff at, at Noah and, and his ark and the whole world being covered by, by water. People will scoff at, at Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. People will scoff at, at God raising Jesus from the dead eternally. But I would, I would just posit that the most ridiculed account in all of the Bible is Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. That's the one that people like to laugh at, that people like to make fun of, that, that people will that people allow the Word of God to be relegated to nothing more than a fable or a nursery story or a board book that you read to an infant. That's what it becomes. Oh, sure. Yeah, Jonah was swallowed by a whale and, and also three pigs built houses, right? And that's how it's viewed. Listen, let me call forward one witness. One witness is all I want, all right? And let's turn to his words they're found in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. My one witness is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus speaks of Jonah. And I want to ask you before we read this, if Jesus believed that the account of Jonah was history and not a fable, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? Matthew chapter 12, verse number 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus and asked him this question. Maybe they're accusing him. They say, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them. He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, if it ended right there, we'd have some trouble because our witness has not given a full testimony yet. But look what else he says in verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus himself says, Jonah was in this great fish three days, three nights. He, of course, is comparing it to his own burial after death prior to resurrection. But Jesus doesn't stop there with the miraculous activity of God through the account of Jonah. Look what else he says. The men of Jonah will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. That, folks, is the greatest miracle. That's the greatest miracle. That these unbelieving, hard-hearted, dead people, that's who they were, because that's who you and I were, and that's who Jonah was. That's who all of humanity is. That's our natural state, born dead. 
And they heard the gospel and they repented from their evilness and they turned to God. I got one witness, the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to Jonah now. If you turned, go back with me to Jonah. Let's get back there. The second thing I want us to see, so we had one witness. Now I want us to see that we have two commissions. Two commissions. And this is a miracle as well. I mean, realize that this is a miracle that happens. And Jonah 1.1, listen what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Will you accept the miraculous nature of that statement? Are you so jaded by your experience here and other churches that you have lost the wonder of that expression? The word of the Lord came to Jonah. God came and spoke to him. He said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, for, the, for their evil has come up before me. Wonder of wonders, God spoke to a human. And in wonder of wonders, he did it again. Look at Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Wonder of wonders, God spoke to a human. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. But wonder of wonders, he came a second time. How many of us, how many of us did God have to come multiple times? Did God just come one time to your heart and say, this is true, this is true, respond? No. He came back. Pounding on the door of your heart, right? This, this is a miracle of God. This beats any great fish. This beats any wonderful fish that, that swallows up Jonah for three days. That God in his grace came to Jonah, and Jonah ran. He ran. Nineveh is this way, Tarshish is that way. Nineveh, a trip just north. Tarshish, we don't really know exactly where it is. A pretty good guess, an educated guess, is southern Spain is where he was headed. He got on a ship going exactly the opposite direction. The complete opposite direction God told him to go. In rebellion to what God called him to do. God called him to something and Jonah said, no. And kicked in his heel. I ask you, dads. I ask you, moms. You tell your child to do something. You say, do this task. And if they look at you and they say, no, boom, I'm doing the opposite. And walk away. How many of us, how many of us in our heart are in an instant ready to say, fine, go. Get out of my life. Are you willing to admit that that lives there? Are you willing to admit that it's down in your heart? Praise God for his grace. Praise God for his grace. And it comes and gives a second chance. He comes and gives multiple chances. Peter says, Lord, how many times? How many times? Tell us the number. Tell us the number we're supposed to forgive. And Jesus gives an answer that basically says, unlimited. I'm always ready to forgive. I'm always ready to forgive. There's two commissions. Two commissions. Week after week, we stand together and we repeat together Jesus' great commission. We'll do it again this week. Listen, it is God's invitation to you to do what he's designed you to do, to live the life he's called you to. Okay, moving along, moving along. In Jonah, we have three revivals. 
three revivals. First of all, in chapter 1, look with me at verse number 16. Three revivals. So, G- so Jonah's on the ship. The sea comes. I mean, it is roaring. The sailors are doing all they can to hold the ship together. I mean, they are working like crazy to keep from going to the bottom of the ocean. And they're doing all they can. And they, they come to their very wit's end and they're crying to their gods, Oh, please deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. And in their understanding of karma and the supernatural, they say, somebody on here must be doing something wrong. For this to be coming upon us, somebody's got to be doing something wrong. And so they go back into the cupboard to get out the Yahtzee game, and they come out with some dice, and they roll them, okay? And sure enough, a miracle occurs. I mean, that's what it is. And the lot falls to Jonah. Now listen, Jonah's not there wringing his hands like, what's going to happen? He's sound asleep in the hold of the ship. This ship is going to sink to the bottom, and with it's going to go a whole host of sailors to eternal damnation separated from God, and Jonah don't care. He doesn't care. He's asleep. Finally, he comes to He expresses something to them. And they turn. These sailors turn. And when you study what these sailors say and compare it to the the salvation stories of of the Old Testament, when you compare and contrast what these sailors do with those who come to saving grace and knowledge of Yahweh, the Lord God, these are redeemed men. They put their hope in the God of the universe. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, it says in verse number 16. That's a power-packed word. It means that they are trusting in God. It's a word used for those who put their trust and their faith in the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh, the Lord, and made vows. That's a revival, folks. Jonah's asleep. He doesn't care. And God uses his words to allow these sailors to know the Lord God reigns, and I will trust him. It's not the only revival. There was a revival in Jonah's heart. You read chapter 2. We'll study it together. Jonah has a revival in his heart. The man who fleed from God, who said, I want nothing to do with you. I'm going that direction in the end. Well, not in the end. In the middle. Says, salvation is only in God and I will obey him. There's a revival in Jonah's heart. But perhaps the greatest revival is found in chapter 3. Look with me in verse number 5. And the people of Nineveh, historians say, this again, these are the Nazis of the old world. This is some of the most wicked people in all of history. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And listen what the king says, okay? In verse number 8, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may relent, turn and relent, and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Amazing work of God. Oh, I long to see revival in our church, in our community of believers, that we would submit to God like Jonah, that I would submit to God like Jonah, that I'd be willing to open up my mouth, that I'd be willing to, to, to step out by faith and obey him, that we would, as a body of believers, that Martinsburg and Berkeley County would turn to Christ. Do we still believe? Do we still believe that God could do this? Hmm. Okay, four. So we got one witness, two commissions, three revivals, four. I'm going to have to go quick on this one, but it's really, really cool. It'll come later, okay? It's four appointments. Let me answer the giant fish question, okay? Let me answer it right now. 
There's four appointments in the Bible. I choose that word appointment because you'll find it in chapter 1, number 17. Look at 117 with me. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now that word appointed is found in the book of Jonah four different times. Four things are appointed. A giant fish, a weird plant, a sneaky worm, and a very hot wind. These four things are appointed by the Lord. We'll deal with this in chapter 1 in the future weeks, but let me just say a word about this. This word appointed is a very, it's a special word. And what it means, it, 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 it means many different things, okay? I want to give you the definition. I'm looking at my notes for it. It most often is translated numbered or counted, but in this form in Jonah, it means to appoint, to assign, to prepare, to compose, to establish. What does all that mean? I'll tell you what I think happened. I don't think that God allowed a sperm whale or a blue whale or a humpback whale to come and swallow up Jonah. I think God brought a special fish. And this fish came and swallowed him up. God appointed. He established. He composed. He said, I need a special fish. And there it was. Same thing with the plants. If you're not familiar with the story, this plant supernaturally grows up and shades Jonah. It's funny. We don't sit around and say, now what kind of plant was that? Is there a plant that grows up in a day and provides shade? I'm not sure of that kind of a plant. And this worm is appointed by God to come and eat away at the plant and it dies. We don't sit around, hmm, what kind of worm is that? Would that be a whatever worm or this worm or that worm or the other? No. We say God did a special work. There's four appointments in the book of Jonah. Four times God does a special thing. But be careful. Be careful. Don't get so... Don't get so enmeshed and and surprised and amazed by the appointment that you forget the revivals. That's what this is about. It's not about the appointments. It's about the revivals. Just finishing my numbers, and I don't have, I'm, I'm totally out of time. In chapter 3, verse number 4, Jonah's sermon is, re, is, is recorded here, okay? It's five words in Hebrew. It's five words. How many words have I shared in the last 45 minutes? <laughs> 5,000, right? Jonah came in. Now, I don't pretend that these are the only five words that Jonah shared, but it's all the Lord felt the need to record. Five Hebrew words, and the community turned. What does that prove to us? What does this establish for us? When God does the miracle of redemption, when God does the miracle of regeneration, he doesn't need you and me to to work some magic formula He's not looking for you to say the right thing or answer the question in the right way. I find many people, they resist trying to share the gospel. They resist trying to to tell people about Jesus because of this one fear. I've heard this so many times. Well, I'm afraid they're going to ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. Really? Seriously? Is that what it is? You really think that people right now are resisting the gospel because they have some question about the hypostatic union? Seriously? Do you really think that people are worrying about, you know, when does regeneration happen, before or after? I mean, really? No. The world needs to know that Jesus died for them. Jonah didn't understand this completely yet. He didn't understand this. How is God going to save these wretched people? How is God going to work in their hearts? They're wicked, wicked people. How can God give them mercy, but at the same time be just? How can these two things work? I don't know how this works. You know that. You know that. It's at the cross where that happens. Where God was just and the justifier. That he brought his wrath upon his own son. You know the answer to that question. You know how it is that an unbeliever can be saved. 
Jonah didn't get that. You do. Four appointments, five-word ser- five sermon, six-scene outline. I'm going to skip this. We're going to see together that there's kind of six, Lord, six kind of scenes that happen, okay? Six scenes that happen, but, but we'll deal with that later. And then finally, there's ten miracles. Can you find them? Can you find, there's ten miracles in the book of Jonah. Can you find them this week? You find them. Listen, you won't remember this. See if you can find them. The word of the Lord, a great wind, a lot, a fish, salvation, the word of the Lord, a revival, a plant, a worm, a wind. Can you find them? This week, I want you to read the book of Jonah, and you find them. All this to express one big idea, and this is it. This, this is the book of Jonah in a nutshell. This is the book of Jonah in a phrase. Here's what it is that God wants us to know. It's this. It's very simple. It's that God is gracious to sinners. That's it. God is gracious to sinners. He was gracious to you. Was he not? See, Jonah had forgotten that in chapter 1 and 2. It took the night in a whale, or three, to teach him that again. God is gracious to sinners like you and like me. If I'm going to pick one verse in the New Testament that kind of wraps up this book, it'd be this one. Can we put that up on the screen? Hear this. Believe it. Let's live it. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's true of our God. As He conforms us to the image of His Son, it will become more and more true of you. Of you. It took two chapters for Jonah to realize this. And then he came back to town. A changed man. An obedient man who still had issues. And God still had to work on him. Some call him the reluctant prophet. Some call him the prodigal prophet. Some call him the cranky prophet. To me, he's the prophet just like you and me. Just like you and me. And God used him in miraculous ways. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I ask you to give us a heart like yours. That's what we want. Conform us to your image, Lord. Make us like you. Lord, you know the world around us and how lost they are and how much they need you. Remind us of how we were there. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.